Hello there. Welcome to episode six of This Is Lit, a podcast where we discuss all things literature. My name is Emily and joining me today is Prue Baker. How are you going, Prue? Not too bad, Emily. Yourself? I'm not bad, thanks. And Sean Clark. Hello. <laughs> Hi. I'm good, thanks, by the way. We just played a recording of you saying hello <laughs> yeah. every time. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, that's exactly it. That's what you guys do. I like how you're already off to this start. Sorry, Emily. <laughs> Just trying to, you know, get the podcast started, but whatever. Um, too much fun is being had already. Yeah. Like um, <laughs> anyway, um, so if you've been listening, you'll have you'll know that we've been talking about the longest memory and the seven stages of grieving over our last couple of episodes. Um, if you haven't given a listen to those, I'd highly recommend going back and listening to our discussion of these texts. Get our um, views up. <coughs> yep, get our Sorry, views what? up, guys. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, today, though, uh, we're actually going to begin our comparison of these two texts. So we're yeah comparing the two with a bit of a focus on um, comparison of characters. So to get us started, though, um, Prue is going to compare the spatial context and setting to begin with. So take it away, Prue. All right. So when we talk about spatial, basically just like if you can just think of the word space, um, or like the place where these two texts are set. Um, so the longest memory set in the south of America, so the USA, but um, especially in Virginia. Uh, the event take place, most of the events take place in one particular town, which I think is unnamed, could be wrong, um, or one area, but mostly, so most of the major events, um, except I think for a few chapters, um, takes place on the one plantation which belongs to Mr. Whitechapel. Um, Whereas in contrast in the seven stages of grieving, there's no one specific location. It's just set in Australia, basically. Some of the events, so some of the chapters, I mean, scenes um, like the march or the uh, bridge scene take place in um, Sydney and Brisbane. And I think there's references to Botany Bay as well in the 1788 scene. Yep. Um, this gives, yes, thank you, uh, this gives the impression... <laughs> Good job. Thanks for, the, thanks for the feedback, Sean. Um, <laughs> so I think this gives the impression that these issues or the narratives that are discussed uh, in the play are widespread or they cover the whole entire Australia or all of the Indigenous people around Australia. All right, that's all from me today. Take it over from you to you, Sean. Thank you, Prue Baker. Um, so when we're looking at the temporal context um, <clears throat> and the setting, uh, basically we're, we're thinking about the time period in, in which it was set. Um, so the longest memory, it's really important to realise the longest memory is set from 17, sorry, yeah, 1790 to 1810. Um, and this is during a period of when <clears throat> the northern states of America abolished, uh, are starting to abolish their slavery. However, the South, um, whose economy is still very much based on agriculture, um, and as you guys would know, like, there's lots of production of, like, cotton, sugarcane, tobacco, all that sort of stuff. Um, the slave trade and slavery uh, wasn't really abolished there yet. Um, for the, the uh, not the longest memory, the seven stages of grieving, um, as Prue said before, it kind of jumps around a lot in time. Um, but it basically deals with essentially, uh, what did you say, Prue, Botany Bay, the, the landing, like the, um, that's where the first fleet landed. Yeah. in Botany yeah. Bay. <clears throat> yeah. So when the first fleet got to Australia, um, and then all the way up until, 
uh, even though it's very, uh, what's the word? It's very topical at the moment, um, but typically mm-hmm. the uh, the time periods um, and the scenes um, that are shown within Seven Stages of Grieving are really kind of up until like the late uh, 90s. Um, so it kind of goes through about like all the seven um, phases of Aboriginal history as well. So we've got, you know, um, uh, assimilation, protection, all the stolen generation, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the time period kind of flips around uh, quite a lot. Um, and I think you guys might have heard me refer it to kind of like a, like a patchwork quilt. Um, all of these stories are told in a single character, which kind of helps tie them all together. Um, but yeah, sometimes the the time period in which uh, these scenes are done in can be very uh, can be somewhat ambiguous. I've always found, but yeah, they're, they're, that's kind of the time period that we're looking at. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a longer time period than the longest memory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's very yeah. interesting. Cool. So, yeah, some obvious um, similarities and differences emerging already. Um, t- yeah, our focus for questions for today um, are, yeah, character-based, as already said. So Prue's question is, which character from each text do you think derives the most empathy from the audience? All right. Um, I'll begin since it's my question. <laughs> um, I chose Cook and the woman at the funeral. So the oh my thing. god! Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, I think like we like they are similar in their like experiences of of loss and their want for connection and relationships. And Cook, uh, we see her as utterly powerless in so many of the circumstances she goes through so like her violent rape her, her marriage with Whitechapel I mean we I don't even know like it says it, it gives the impression that she's kind of okay with it but I think that we can kind of also take away that she kind of felt forced to and basically like she was like indebted to Whitechapel yeah. for like saving her mm. um so I think I think that comes on like her powerless that she didn't really have a choice and of Mm. course um yeah of course she's powerless in her enslavement as well as she's kind of we kind of see um that she kind of we don't really see much hope for herself but she places all of this hope and love into her son and his future and what might if society might change but he dies like a few days after she dies, which I think is just so tragic because it's like all of her hope was lost mm. in him, in his death. But also um, because she had already died, she didn't know about that, did she? True, yeah, true, <laughs> true. Mm. I guess like then, I guess then like we could be like, well, thank God she didn't see it. Like how mm. would she have reacted then to Chapel's death if she was alive? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, kind of don't want to think about it. It'd be so sad. No, I just like I, I'm just like no, no. I, I don't. Imagine. I don't want to have that thought. I just can't imagine she would have got over it. Mm. No, and yeah, and who knows what she would have done if she were to see that. Yeah. Mm. Um, but like the woman at the funeral as well. I found like her story, even though it's so brief, um, ex- exceptionally tragic as well. 
the mm. fact that she lives her whole life grieving or mourning uh, lost family members, people she doesn't even know, she'll never know. Yeah. She's just lost so much that she just spends her life and her days um, trying to find people or connection mm. and mm. just doesn't find it. Yeah, I found mm. that to be pretty the tragic. Most- yeah, I always found for me, um, <clears throat> sorry to cut in, but like for me, the the character from Seven Stages of Grieving that I found um, that I got the most empathy from was obviously the Aboriginal woman, just straight outright. Um, and mm. I think that's because I really, I don't know, like again, I'm like drawing on that metaphor um, of the, the whole grief that she kind of carries around with her and all of that generational trauma. Mm. And I feel like, oh, I just, I don't know, I just feel really devastated for her more so than that that than that uh, grandmother that goes around to all those funerals and I think it's mm-hmm. because part of me I don't know is it said in the text that the grandmother's been doing that all her life um I actually have the thing right open now well because the, the woman goes and sees and goes and follows her yeah. Um, and she sees the newspapers piles and piles on the dining room at first I thought they were table full, full of form guides Blah, 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 mm. blah. When I uh, got closer, I could see there were pages of death notices. And the things she circled were today's funerals. I could see she spends her day going from church to church, going to funerals. Mm. So it's kind of inferred that she's been doing this for a very long time. Um, yeah. For me, with the Aboriginal woman, I don't know, I just feel like to be um, sort of saddled with all of this grief and all of this pain and trauma, um, f- for me as well, like when I kind of have seen images of the performance and um, the images in the. Um, uh, uh, play that we've obviously got. Um, mm. it, it like <clears throat> obviously I know this is director's discretion, but I feel like the woman, the woman's quite young as well, and for me that kind of upsets me a lot because the woman has so much to live for because she's still in the prime of her life in her youth. Mm-hmm. So and to be saddled with all this grief and trauma and stuff, I don't know. I just I find that really distressing, and I find that like that's I'm very empathetic towards her does that make sense yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. have like the same um pretty much the same answer as you Sean where I feel most empathetic for the woman because as you said like she's dealing with all of that grief which is like so much grief for one individual to have to deal with yeah um mm-hmm. yeah which is mm-hmm. awful obviously yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um and for me I'd like as well with the longest memory I don't know why ever since I read the book for, for the first time um chapel I don't know why I just really I feel mm-hmm. for the guy I feel for the kid because he is just a kid um and you know he, I, again like he's very very much similar in some ways to the aborig- aboriginal woman like you know he's youthful he's kind of in the prime of his life life or about to start the prime and he obviously is murdered, but um, he's born into this terrible, terrible world and terrible life. And even though he is full of hope about running away with Lydia and stuff like that, um, I don't know. He just, I don't know. He and I don't like in his poetry and like he just, mm-hmm. I don't know. He really opens up and like the the reader gets to really uh, like understand him and sort of kind of almost connect with him through his words and through how the others speak about him. And I don't know, and then he's murdered and, you know, yeah. and that's just that's just awful. I think that, I that highlights the tragedy of it, the fact that he was so full of hope and, like, and mm. looking forward and optimistic about his future and then tragically taken down. Mm. That just, I think, yeah, exacerbates or highlights that tragedy, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, mm. I think it's really interesting that you picked the first character you picked was the one that we heard the most from in that text. And I feel like in The Longest Memory, Chapel wasn't given a whole lot of time. No. He was only given that one chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was kind of poetic as well, like it was in prose. So we didn't get a whole lot of like insight into his thoughts and um yeah anyway I just thought that was an interesting note yeah, note didn't yeah. think about that <clears throat> um yeah for me with the longest memory like I don't know with that whole book I feel so sorry for all of them like it was really hard to choose like who I would feel most empathy for um mm. but I actually I've gone with Whitechapel and I don't know if it's just reflective of me having, like, this existential crisis at the moment where I'm like, <laughs> how awful to, like, have literally lived, like, your whole life, like, which is, was a miserable life, like, being a slave, mm-hmm. um, only to, like, in, you know, your final stages of life have, like, caused the death of your own son and then yeah. been, like, you know, shunned by your entire family from it as well. Mm. Yep. Like, yeah, I, I just think that would be so awful, like, to, you know, have, yeah, you know, lived a really awful life and then, like, in your final final years or moments or whatever to like have to be feeling like yep everything Mm. I've lived for was a waste like you know he thought he was um thought he was going to be keeping chapel safe by um like getting him to come back and that sort of stuff only to for that to have actually caused his death and everything so like yeah yeah, I don't know I just find that quite heartbreaking that like yeah like the morals that he had based living his life on Mm -hmm. um kind of what caused his ruin in the end Mm. yeah he's like Passive passiveness, passivity. Mm. I'm not sure, um, but yeah, the fact that he's done this to keep himself and his family safe. Mm. Like he think, like he's, you know, trying to forget all of this stuff or trying to sever ties to his African past uh, to mm. keep him to keep himself safe or to keep his family safe. But ultimately, like that was the undoing of him, and yeah, that's really cruel as well, mm. like tragic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Um, yeah. Anyway, moving on. My question mm-hmm. for the week. Which characters are similar in terms of their power or powerlessness? Um, so mine's like a little bit left of field and I apologize for this, but obviously um <clears throat> I went for rather groups of people. I don't know, is this okay? Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I agree <laughs> with like with seven stages of grieving, like I still don't really look at them as characters, more just like you are just people representative like, I don't know. yeah 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 representative mm-hmm. of that particular thing but um i kind of drew parallels with uh like obviously sanders senior sanders junior and the plantation owners versus the australian police force yes i had that too oh okay <laughs> yeah. i was like yeah. oh my god this is a great point um obviously uh talking about the australian police force and obviously how they are represented in the text uh, seven stages of grieving. Um, they are they are represented as to be very uh, racially biased. Um, uh, they kill Daniel York. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. how do they do it again? Do they do it the same way that what well, happened? To- I don't know if it's ex- like expressly. It's not. Uh, it's just kind of implied. It's just that, like, yeah. by the time they get to the the police station or hospital, I, I don't quite quite remember what it was. Um, that he's dead. Yeah, so he somehow yeah. just died in in this trip where they don't actually yeah, explain, I don't know, which is just. Yeah. I don't think they explain mm. what actually happened. Like mm. it's just implied. Yeah, it's implied. I, mm. I I feel like I want to do like more research about that. Anyway, um, and they are mm. obviously seen to be as you know very controlling, very overbearing. Um, uh, like 
very much uh, wants to, you know, keep the uh, minorities kind of under their under their thumb, I suppose, and just, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that they're squashed and, you know, oh, mm-hmm. you can, like, especially as well with the whole march thing as well, um, when it was a peaceful march, but then, you know, the news... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the new and the like the Australian news as well, I suppose, could like go into that category because they they kind of like um oh, blew that could, out. Yeah, you could compare the um like Australian media to the editor of the to Virginian. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's quite it's very interesting when you start really kind of matching these sorts of things up. It's really interesting to see. Uh, like how many similarities you can actually find. Mm. Um, but, yeah, mm. those that was really, I don't know, when I read both of these texts again and started obviously teaching it, uh, that was one of the things I really took notice of is um, the Sanders Senior, Sanders Junior, the plantation owners um, versus the Australian police force. I just, I don't know, I always kind of thought about that. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I, about you guys? I, well, I think I did it the opposite way where I, compared the like the victims in a way like the the fact that oh. like, compared chapel to daniel york or the brother um but yeah uh-huh. and basically it's the same thing that you would say like that they they're powerless to their fate um and what becomes of them and the fact that the people who hold the power which are in these texts both both of these texts the people who hold the power are white and in positions of power so yeah. the only, I guess, the only white characters that we see in both of the texts are, in in a way, exceptionally powerful. Like even in mm. their own communities. Yeah, um, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, true. Uh, yes, and and the use of like violence and intimidation strategies to maintain this oppression, and we see that in those in through those characters. So yeah, just the opposite of what you said, but agreeing. Mm. I don't know. That doesn't yeah, make no, sense. No, no, but no. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, a couple of other comparisons that I made was, um, like, so the woman and Whitechapel both have the power to tell the stories of the past and to, like, educate mm. other people, um, which is kind of, like, the same as, like, Whitechapel and the grandmother, too, because, like, they're both the, um, yeah, the, you know, the older people in their communities yeah, that have, yeah, yeah. the elders, mm. um, yeah, that obviously mm. know of, of past experiences and stuff and have all those stories to share, uh, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, like, Whitechapel obviously chooses not to, but the grandmother does. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the grandmother, I think the, the grandmother is kind of actively against her oppressor. Mm. Like her, she expresses her distrust of authority the, the figures. Gov- yep. Yeah, yeah, very true. Government, police, the teachers, so all mm. those people who hold some sort of position of power in society. Whereas mm. Whitechapel kind of just, he it's accepts just subservient. That. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I guess it's just the different. It shows just the different ways that people react, or like, yeah, the, the ways different people react to when they are being oppressed. Mm. Um, yeah, good yeah. Point. Mm. Um, mm. And another interesting one I thought of, which is again like a left of field sort of one, um, but so like Mister Whitechapel, right? Because he's like a bit of an ambiguous sort of figure because he's all like, like at the end of the day, he still owns slaves and is practicing slavery, but yeah, he also yeah, yeah. like you know who's mm. trying to help them in some way he's so um, like morally ambiguous sometimes and I just hate him a little bit for it but yes yeah, continue yeah. sorry <laughs> <laughs> um I think you could kind of like this is a bit of a stretch I don't know but you could kind of make mm-hmm. some some comparisons with like the Australian government as well but oh, like yeah, no I've done that yeah <laughs> yeah like no, I made those comparisons yeah cool good because <laughs> obviously like you know 
a lot of the things that like you know the government have done have like been really harmful and really awful um yeah to indigenous people obviously but like they've also been done a lot of things under the guise of it being like to help them yeah like they're yeah. doing it and kind of like they think they're doing the best thing but you but know we're not think, yeah yeah they're not yeah mm. um like the reconciliation kind of thing yeah um, oh my god even, yeah and even I'm sorry like, I'm you just know, I am like blown away because I'm like I didn't even think of that <laughs> oh my god and <laughs> even like you know if you think of like the stolen generation it's like disgusting that that happened but mm. the way it was justified back then is yeah we're sa- we're helping them we're saving them from themselves like yeah it's going to be better because they'll get to be white and isn't that what everyone wants like mm. Mm. So, yeah saving them from themselves yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah just we see a lot of that thought. kind of justification in the uh, virginian editor mm. yeah uh, true chapters as well that just that's constantly all this like horrendous actions justified uh, well, they're mm. tr- attempting to justify it. Mm. So interesting. But anyway, last question for today. Dan's question, which is mm. quite a big one. So listen carefully. <laughs> How do each of the text's characters' stories become constitutive of themselves? What is it about the woman's stories that she connects so deeply with her history and tradition that we also see in The Longest Memory? I'm really sorry. It's a long question. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while. I had to read it a few times. Mm. I had to really think about this one, though, because I wanted to do something. I don't know. I just really wanted to talk about the stories and stuff. So I can go first if you guys want. All I kind of wanted to talk about with this was how um like the stories like in which the, the like both of these uh texts deal with obviously white chapel stories and then we obviously have the aboriginal woman stories like it's just so like within themselves and it's just so important that like they they tell these stories and obviously it's really important that students make this connection um with you know, both the Aboriginal woman and Whitechapel stories because obviously in the seven stages of grieving, she connects like super, super deep from these stories of her past, like whether or not it's been handed down from like her grandmother, which she references, or like it's, you know, done from her culture or history. Um, And then that's how they learn about their families and stuff like that. Um, But then it's really important as well because, they also deal with like um, I know I'm referencing seven stages of grieving a lot. I'm, I apologize, um, but then it's like the average woman references Auntie Grace quite a lot, and it's like that's a total contrast of how you know their stories have been so closely linked to their identity, like how they kind of lost that identity, like like through reading both of these texts. Um, and thinking about like the theme of identity and belonging and, you know, how they belong to that culture and that history. And then you have, you know, in contrast, Auntie Grace, who I think all of us have discussed before about how we pretty much inferred that she abandoned her, her tradition and culture and stuff like that. And the shame that comes along, along with that as well. Because the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot as well is the fact that we haven't really discussed um, a really big thing within Aboriginal culture, which is... Um, obviously the feeling of shame does that make sense guys mm, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because as a as a drama teacher, um, when we are teaching, you know, uh, acting techniques and you know, standing up in front of the class and doing all that sort of stuff, um, it's uh, one of the techniques that we, that I got taught in uni, and then through you know, professional development days. Um, in order to, you know, connect with Indigenous um, students, Kuru students, is kind of like try to teach them like a mantra of like no shame. And so it's really important to remember that because obviously in seven stages of grieving, um, you, you know, you have these stories and then without their stories, they become invisible like we all would in history. Does that make sense? And so mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, I just wanted to talk about how, you know, the woman, the woman's stories like connect really, really deeply um with her members of family and then you know that's contrasted by auntie grace um and then with the longest memory as well we've got Whitechapel, you know telling his story and you know showing his identity through telling story and all that sort of stuff and then obviously part of it's lost because you know obviously chapel dies and stuff like that so i don't know that's what i wanted to talk about because i just thought it was really interesting Mm, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I read that question um as like talking about the structural structural elements of the text. Yeah, no, that's fine so, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. For go, example, go, go. seven okay, uh, I will. Uh seven <laughs> stages of grieving. Uh that's a series of stories in different forms. So we've got uh what have we got? We've got song, we've got poetry. We've got uh, just store, like actual storytelling, like representing the oral traditions that mm-hmm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' perspectives about, like that's how they pass down their knowledge of culture, tradition, uh, any sort of or like concepts or histories, and we see that through this play. So I think, and I had, I maybe I, I got kind of like a little light bulb moment as well. I was like, well. This this really makes sense as a play because as a book we wouldn't we don't really get the we wouldn't get the the nuance of of using songs and mm-hmm. uh, and art form. So the fact like mm, I think yeah. some pictures that I saw of the play as well, she is painting her body, which is uh, representing mm-hmm. Aboriginal culture as well, and another way to tell stories. So I think as a play, it, it works really well, and, and it. it combines and it uses all these different types of Aboriginal storytelling and oral traditions, mm. which, yeah, I think that, so that really works as a play, as I said a million times. But, yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that's, I, that was my answer. And I think uh, in terms of The Longest Memory, the different, I feel like sometimes the different chapters or the way the style that it's written reflects little bits of the characters' personalities. So the obvious yeah, one to yeah, me yeah. was yeah the obvious one to me yeah. was Chapel yeah and his his uh, chapter was prose so poetry yeah. which I guess rep- represents or reflects his his love for that uh, style of writing and I think also I guess maybe as well highlights a tragedy that that's something that was denied to him and he but mm-hmm. that is something that is so core to his to his personality and his who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm. Emily. Um, I feel like you guys have pretty much covered it all. Really insightful answers. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so I don't know. I feel like I like misinterpreted this question. Um, that was probably I my bad because I wrote it really badly. I'm like, I don't understand. I was like, I'm just going to write it and then hopefully they understand. <laughs> like I actually sometimes I look at like my work and like sometimes I look at like the stuff that I do and I'm like, how do my kids understand what I'm on about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt like a kid today. Yeah, um, me too. But... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I guess I kind of looked at it. Um, I really like f- more so focused on like your um, like the second part of the question, asking about connecting like the stories with history and tradition mm. in the longest memory. Um, and I think like looking at it from that perspective, um. I think just looking at, like, you know, more so the references to, like, you know, Mr. Whitechapel's family and how they've kind of, like, been in the business for generations and generations um, kind of, like, is there to kind of lend weight to the idea of slavery being something that's just been embedded in history and culture for a long time back then? And then I guess, like, the same could be said for Whitechapel as well because he, like, it's really overemphasised the fact that he's, like, being been around for forever and that he's really old and everything so I think that too is like trying to reinforce that idea that slavery is something that's been yeah well that was like going on for way too long Mm. yeah Mm, yeah I suppose the final point I kind of wanted to add was uh kind of on on yours em um with the fact that uh both the longest memory and seven stages of grieving uh show what like problematic stories as well and so the way that you know the editor from the virginian has been shown like that's quite a problematic um uh plot line because obviously like the virginian editor is kind of like being like yeah slavery is the best but actually Mm -hmm. it's not or like slavery needs to happen and stuff like that and i kind of link that um to um, the the wider, like how the wider Australian public and, you know, the Australian police force and all that sort of stuff, how they've been represented in Seven Stages of Grieving as well um, mm. because, like, that's very problematic, like especially with the, the story of, the, of Daniel York um, and, like, what happened to him. I don't know. I just found parallels with them but yeah mm. yeah no, i'll totally stop talking now <laughs> <laughs> no you Sorry. won't because you are running our <laughs> you are running our final segment today which is a game <laughs> isn't it what it what is. is it called again it's called it's called i just wrote character match game <laughs> question mark question mark question mark we're really um, good at coming up with games. Like, yeah, we're so yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, guys, get ready for this train wreck because it's going to be a train wreck. So um, essentially what you guys have to do, so I might say a character, for example, Whitechapel, um, and you have to try to match like the most, what you believe to be the most similar counterpart in Seven Stages of Grieving. Um, all of this is up to my discretion. So like, <laughs> so, like you guys could tell me two completely different characters um, and give me your reasons and then I can be like, mm, I like Emily's answer better. Ooh, I'll go okay. with that. Um, right. So we're playing favourites right. again, which so, I'm yeah, sure of it. It sounds like a favourites game. <laughs> <laughs> you love it. <laughs> this is a really dangerous game, Sean Clark. <laughs> All right, you guys ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, ready? So you're comparing these longest memory characters to Seven Stages of Grieving. So the first yeah. longest memory character is Chapel. Go. Daniel York. Daniel York. Um, no, Prue. Okay, you Daniel both. Young. <laughs> you both didn't say your name, so Aww. no. You didn't say that in the rule. 
<laughs> How are we meant to remember uh-huh. that it carries over? <laughs> I thought oh, this was a new game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, all right. Uh, so the next character is Sanders Senior. Go. The police. Oh, Emily. Sorry. <laughs> Emily, yes. <laughs> Emily, yes. The police. Why? Tell me why. Uh, oh, did I really want to answer this? Um, no. So it's because they both abuse their power. So Sanders Senior, yeah, abuses his power. So do the police uh, in the, the Seven Stages of Grieving. Um, and they do that through, like, really violent means as well. Perfect, perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Next yeah. question. Oh. Cook, go. Oh, I had this before. I just said it. You literally just oh. said it. <laughs> I know. I have to call my notes. Um, I can't remember what she said either. Oh, my gosh. Um, cook. Cook. Oh, uh, the pr- pr- yes, I compared pr- it to uh, the woman at the funeral. Yes. Tell me why. That's all right. Oh, but I've said it. All right. Okay. Nah, yeah, uh, <laughs> because they're completely powerless because they've, oh, I think I uh, highlighted their sense of, like, extreme loss. Um, and powerlessness and their want of connection to family and community. Ooh, yes. Glorious, glorious. Yeah. I can't really argue if you with said that. I was, if you said I was wrong then, then you would have then said that I was wrong <laughs> in our first segment. That's fine. <laughs> all right. One all, go. True. All right. The tiebreaker. Are you guys ready? Yeah. yeah. The winner gets Uber Eats delivered to their homes. Uber Eats doesn't come to my home, so. Oh, well. <laughs> well, you. Automatic oh. winner, yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right, are you guys ready? Mm hmm. Take a very deep breath. The Mr. Whitechapel, go. Who? Mr. Whitechapel. about this. Oh, the government. Ooh. Emily, the government. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Emily, oh, yes. yes. Um, because of what I literally just said before. Nat, appreciate um, it. They, <laughs> if I get they, any more sass out of you. It's just a summary I'm game, gonna... that's what it is. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> Guys, come on. Um, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, as I already mentioned, uh, like they, you know, some sometimes have good intentions, but at the end of the day, like still cause grief and trauma for the oppressed groups. And the winner of no Uber Eats to her house because she can't get it because she lives in in the middle of nowhere is Emily Brad. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Well done. Well so done. exciting. Well done. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a fun time. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed listening. Next week we will be having another comparative episode where we'll be going into themes a little bit more. So we will see you all then, hopefully. And, yeah. yeah. Thanks. See ya. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.